Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On our last episode, Jason Sheffield, the lead defense attorney for Travis McMichael, began his questioning of Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent Richard Dial at a hearing where Judge Wallace Harrell would determine whether there was probable cause for the three men to face trial for felony murder. On this episode, defense attorney Sheffield concludes his questioning. That's coming up after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The early part of defense attorney Jason Sheffield's cross-examination of GBI agent Dial seemed to be aimed at challenging the agent's assertion that there was probable cause to bring the defendants to trial. However, agent Dial's answers to questions about Travis McMichael's use of language seemed to mark a turning point in Sheffield's approach to this hearing. I understand that you have said that Mr. Bryan has put this statement coming out of the mouth of Travis McMichael, this horrible thing. In looking so far in the case, whether it's on Travis's interaction through the neighborhood Facebook page or on his phone, have you seen any other evidence that he has used that horrible N-word anywhere else? Yes, for many times. Okay. And where? There's on his Instagram post, he responds on one. I do not recall every time it was there, but I can give you some examples of numerous times he on the Instagram post, somebody sends him, this is on January 2nd of 2020, someone sends him a video or a picture. We were not able to recover that from the phone. That's one of the reasons why I haven't searched one out for Instagram. They send that out. He says, makes the comment, that would only be better if they'd have blown that effing N-words or that blown that N-words head off. Um, so somebody sends him something. And then he responds with that text. And this back. is an Instagram that you've identified belonging to Travis McMichael. It's correct. It was on his phone, too. Okay. Yes. All right. Anywhere else that you've seen this? Yes. Um, there are several conversations. Um, and I do not, they were on the phone. I do not agree if they were through instant messenger or through text. That I do not recall offhand. Okay. But one particular one that comes to mind is. He made the statement that he loved his job because he was out on a boat and there weren't any N-words anywhere. Did you get any information that he worked side-by-side with African-Americans? Did you ever discover that in your work? I don't recall. I don't recall. Sheffield seems to recognize that probable cause will almost certainly be found, and so he pivots to discovering from Agent Dial as much information about the state's evidence as he can. While the prosecution is required to turn over to the defense in a timely manner all evidence that may be either inculpatory or exculpatory, 
Georgia law specifies that timely means no later than 10 days prior to trial. So Sheffield begins this line of inquiry by asking Agent Dial about how much information he has regarding Mr. Arbery's previous visits to the property under construction. Is it your belief that it was Mr. Arbery going into the home on those other dates? I believe so, yes, sir. So on October 25th or November 18th, that was Mr. Arbery going in. I don't remember the dates, but the other videos I've seen show Mr. Arbery, who I believe is Mr. Arbery, in the home. Yes. Why do you believe that it's him? Why do you believe it's Mr. Arbery in the home? It, because I've seen him and it looks like him. Are you aware whether or not there are neighbors reporting that back on in October or November that Mr. English had told them I had a suspect in my house last night and I had something stolen. Are you aware of that? I am not, no sir. So you've not spoken with any neighbors that have said, Larry English told me that he had things stolen. I have not spoken with it and I'm not aware of an agent that has spoken to someone other than what I just described to you. What about from Travis McMichael? Did he tell you that he had been informed that things had been stolen on those prior occasions, not on the 11th, but on those prior occasions. Traffic Michael chose not to do an interview with me, sir. What did you learn had been stolen over that six-month period of time in that neighborhood, in that area? There were two entering autos. There was one theft, again, from a bedroom, and then there was one call of a burglary, but no subsequent report of that. What about stolen firearms? Well, in one of the entering the autos was Travis McMichael's firearm was taken. Were you aware of any other firearms that were taken out of cars in that time period? I am not, no, sir. Okay. You're not aware of that? I'm not aware of that. Were you given any information that Greg McMichaels had been told that things were stolen from Larry English's house previously back in October or November of 2019? Whether you were told yourself or you were reviewed it from the Glen County Police Department. From the Glen County Police Department interview that he did at the Glen County Police Department, he said he didn't think anything had been, he knew nothing had been taken on February 11th. He didn't think anything had been taken from the house by Mr. Albury. He said he can't be sure if it had, it had to have been early on, but he didn't think so. Did you have any information that the neighborhood Facebook group, including Mr. McMichaels and his father, had come to the opinion that there was one particular suspect who continued to go into um, Mr. English's house. I know you testified now that it was, you believe it was Mr. Arbery, but did you get information that they had collectively formed the opinion that the same guy is coming back? Yes, sir, I believe so. I believe that's correct. Sheffield then moves from the question of whether Mr. Arbery was a legitimate burglary suspect to Travis McMichael's purported fear that Mr. Arbery might be armed. Moving to the 11th of February, what is it that you understood from Travis McMichael's through your review of the file that he observed that night and that he thought that night what he observed about Mr. Arbery? He saw Mr. Arbery in the neighborhood. He saw, he said he was actually turned around and has his headlights, if I recall correctly, illuminated Mr. Albury. Mr. Albury took position. There's a porta potty in front of the house because it's under construction. Um, and it appeared to him that Mr. Albury was trying to hide in the shadow. He said Mr. Albury was grabbing his pants, his pocket. Um, Mr. Um, Travis Michael said, and this is the interview he did with Glen County Police Department on the 23rd, his concern was there may have been a gun. Did you so, explain 
why he was concerned about that on that evening. Because Mr. Aubrey grabbed his pants in that particular. Grabbed his pants? I think he, I think, I think he said pocket or, or he, the way Mr. Aubrey grabbed his pants, Mr. Travis McMichael was concerned there may be a firearm. Okay. Uh, he called 911 and returned to his house where him and his father then went over to Mr. English's house to try to confront the individual. He had seen the individual go in the house. I'm sorry, I left that part out. After the grab, he saw the individual go into Mr. English's house. And, and this is all information that you're aware of prior to making your arrest decision on the set. Yes, sir. That's correct. At any point in time, did you consider that um, they were, Travis and Greg and Michael were honestly seeking to apprehend a person that they thought was burglarizing and breaking into homes and cars in the neighborhood? I, no, I consider that they thought they were trying to catch the person that they believed may be responsible for what occurred so that they could detain him and identify him and let the police show up and identify him. Yes, sir. Sheffield's inquiry then shifts to Agent Dial's interpretation of Georgia's citizen's arrest law. Do you understand the, are you aware of the citizen's arrest law? I am, yes, sir. Did you form an opinion or think before you made the arrest warrant that these two gentlemen could have been trying to make a citizen's arrest? I was concerned whether their actions were legal and they had the authority to do it. Not really so much what their intention was, but whether their actions were <clears throat> legal. And their actions being trying to stop a person that they believed had been burglarizing their neighborhood. Trying to stop a person, pointing a shotgun, ordering the person to get on the ground, and subsequently killing that person. Yes, sir. I understand the end of what happened, but I guess my, my, well, my, so my question is, from the moment that you understand that McMichaels left their driveway, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, let me back up. We'll get into it. Um, you had mentioned, I had asked you about the Barnhill letter and we were talking about Mr. Arbery. Is any part of your investigation, well, in the Barnhill letter, do you recall reading where George Barnhill mentioned part of the reason that he wasn't going forward was because of mental health issues? Sheffield then goes into a lengthy series of questions about Mr. Arbery's mental health. Prosecutor Jesse Evans objects repeatedly to the relevance of those questions, and although Judge Harrell allowed the questions in the hearing, Judge Timothy Walmsley, who is the trial judge on the case, recently ruled that Arbery's medical privacy outweighs the right of the defendants to use that information, especially since those records include a registered nurse's, quote, highly questionable diagnosis, end quote, in 2018, that Arbery suffered from mental illness. Sheffield moves on to seek any information to support his client's assertion that he acted in self-defense. What are the facts and factors did you discuss that supported that this would be a case of self-defense? That supported it? Yes, sir. It was just their contention that... It was their contention that, at least on the second and third shot, that he was striking Travis McMichael. Again, Travis McMichael is not clear. He says they were tangled up, but he's not clear on the first shot that there was actually any physical violence done to him as far as a strike. Um, he first says he shoots when Ahmaud Aubrey squares up with him. Then I believe the statement is Ahmaud Aubrey was going to, his rear back going to hit him, and then there's a statement that he may have had his hand on his shirt. Travis McMichael says that he was adrenaline was pumping and it all happened very quickly. Um, 
I mean, that's as that answers your question. I mean, that's yeah. The, just were there any other facts that you considered that you discussed with the district attorney? This supports that Travis McMichael was using self-defense on that day. I mean, his contention. I mean, that was his contention, and yeah, I mean, that's the facts that we had. Okay. Uh, You've mentioned a couple of times that there was. Uh, it seemed to be Travis was saying, and maybe even on the video that uh, Mr. Arbery was striking Travis. Can you give us a little more details about what it is you understood happened with the striking? Uh, that um, Mr. Um, Mr. Aubrey was Well, it depends on whose statement. Again, Greg McMichael, he only he only says there's two shots, and he indicates that they're striking. I believe before the first shot. Okay. Travis McMichael again says that he fired the first shot into Mont Aubrey's chest. Um, says that he cannot be sure Monoff had struck him then or had his hand on his shirt or, you know, he's very unclear about that. He does know that after shooting him that Travis Michael backed up and Ahmaud Aubrey was striking him. Um, Did you see evidence of that on Travis McMichael? He points out and they took photographs of his face. I didn't see any visible injuries to him. The Glen County Police Department. After asking questions about distances and the sequence of events, Travis McMichael's attorney, Jason Sheffield, asks Agent Dial about the nature of Greg McMichael's statements regarding what he saw in the moments leading up to his pursuit of Mr. Arbery. What is it that you understand Greg McMichael sees, observes, and says at that moment when he's out of his driveway? My understanding, he sees um, Mr. Arbery running past According to Greg McMichael's statement, again, he doesn't know if Mr. Aubrey's chasing somebody or somebody's chasing him, but he recognized him as the person that's been in the house um, previously and says that he suspects that Mr. Aubrey may have been involved in thefts in the past. So he goes into the house and tells Travis that's him, and then they get the guns and proceed to get in the truck and chase Mr. Aubrey. I think you testified that Greg McMichael's former law enforcement officer and investigator in the DA's office. Yes, sir, that's correct. And he is expressing to the police these statements back on February 23rd that it's his belief at the moment Mr. Arbery runs past that he thinks that is the individual that's been burglarizing and, and committing thefts in the neighborhood. Mm, hey, no, that is not correct. I thought that's what you just said. No, sir. Okay. He says that's the individual that he had seen in the house. Okay. Um, he believes, he has a gut instinct that this person may have been responsible, although he's gotten, and I think he actually says, I've got no proof of that, but this person may have been responsible for various crimes in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, and did you get an understanding of where he came to that feeling or belief from? Um, just his explanation of Glen County Police Department, like I said, I think he actually says it's a hunch. They go into it, it's just like a subjective just reasoning. He says, my reasoning is there's thefts going on and somebody's in a house under construction. So they're probably or possibly the person that may have been doing these thefts. Would you consider it significant if Larry English had in fact told him that he had thousands of dollars worth of fishing equipment and electronics stolen from his boat around the time of October and November of 2019? I would find it astonishing considering that Mr. McMichael tells them that he did not think anything was stolen from the house on February 23rd, 2020, during the interview with the Glen County Police Department. 
So I would think that that would be a change. If he came out and said that now, I believe that would be a change in the statement he gave on the day of the murder. Greg McMichael's statement is significant because the citizen's arrest law allows a private person to arrest a suspected offender if that suspect is attempting to escape and the private person has reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion of the purported offense. Gut instinct would not appear to reach the threshold of reasonable and probable grounds. Next, Sheffield returns to his inquiry about what information the state had about why the McMichaels chose to arm themselves. They explain or give any information as to why they grabbed their firearms. Yeah, I believe Greg Michael explains that, again, this is an individual that had been in the house over here and they didn't know if he was armed or not. So they grabbed weapons. Did they at all reference the February 11th evening where they thought that he may be armed because he had been motioning to his pocket or reaching in his pocket? And yes, were, yes, sir, I believe that is that was brought up during those interviews, yes. And they were afraid that the same guy may have been armed. Well, yeah, they mentioned that, but Rick Michael also says that his gut instinct, again, was this person may have been the individual that went into Travis Michael's truck and stole a firearm. However, he said he had no evidence of that he had no objective reasoning for that. I believe they were going into subjective versus objective information. And, um, but that he's just good instinct. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When asking Agent Dial for any information about when either of the McMichaels first drew a gun on Mr. Arbery, Jason Sheffield gets an unexpected answer. When they followed Mr. Arbery further down Burford and they re-engaged and then he took off running back down towards Satilla, that they pulled out any guns at that time. Neither one of those, conf- neither Greg McMichael nor Travis McMichael confessed to that during the interview. That Glenn he confessed. I'm just saying, did they say that they took their guns out or not? Well, that would be a confession if they said they pointed a gun at him like you described earlier. That would be a crime, in my opinion, which would be a confession. Okay. But you don't have any information that they did pull guns out? No other videos or anything like that? No, I do not. Sheffield then suggests that the defendant's statements indicate Mr. Arbery was trying to attack Mr. Bryan's truck as he was being pursued. Agent Dial does not see it that way. Uh, Is it significant to you at all if Mr. Arbery would be trying to break into that truck with Mr. Bryan? No, sir. Again, at this point, I think Mr. Arbery's trying to escape. I would say that he's trying to get away. And Mr. Bryan continues to pursue him and try to block him in again. So, so he's trying to get away from Mr. Mm-hmm. Bryan. Oh, I apologize. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. No. Yes. You're asking me if it's significant whether or not he was trying to open the driver's side of the door. My answer is that no, because I think Mr. Aubrey is motivated by a desire to flee based upon all the information that this has. Also, Mr. Bryan continued to pursue him and try to block him in after that. Is it your it's my opinion? understanding. Okay. 
is it your understanding or your opinion that Mr. Arbery was trying to get into the driver's side of Mr. Bryan's truck so that he could use it to flee? No, sir. Um, Mr. Bryan indicated that he interpreted Mr. Arbery's actions as trying to open the door. Okay. I don't have an opinion whether that was actually true or not. I'm just telling you my opinion is that at this point Mr. Aubrey is trying to escape. After guiding Agent Dial through some map-related questions, Sheffield gets to the final confrontation between the McMichaels and Mr. Arbery. Do you have any information that Travis or his father at that opportunity are saying to Mr. Arbery, stop, we want to talk to you, stop, or anything like that, stop believe, running or whatever? I believe Greg McMichael's statement is he was, he was saying stop, Travis Michael's statement, he was saying, stop, get on the ground. Um, those commands were being given to Mr. Arbery. And what is your understanding about why they were saying those things to Mr. Arbery? Because they wanted to detain him and seize him. For what purpose? So the police could come and ID him. Okay. All right. And so in saying that, where is Travis in the video, and what is he doing with his, with his shotgun that you can see or that you believe? pointing it at Mr. Aubrey. So you're saying the video shows that he's pointing it straight at Mr. Aubrey. His arm is up in a shooting position is what I see. Okay. Um, is there any evidence that you've been told or that you've seen where the gun is just being held down like this? It appears that he, he repositions the firearm. Yeah. I believe it's more of a port arms. After um, you see Mr. Aubrey change direction and going towards the passenger side. Okay. Port arms being holding the butt of the gun down and the barrel up. Yes, sir. Okay, not, that's not a firing position, is it? No, sir. This was after he took the firing position. After the, I understand, he points and said, stop, get on the ground. Mm -hmm. The stop, get on the ground, where do you hear, do you hear that on the, any kind of recording or anything like that? That's his statement. That's, that's his statement. Okay. Have you listened to the 911 call that Greg McMichael's made? I have. Do you hear anything on that call about stop or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Say yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sorry. This position of holding the barrel of the gun or the front of the gun down, is, does that have a, a name? I've heard the term low ready. Does that sound like something that you're familiar that's, with? That's not what I would call low ready. Okay. Yeah. What is low ready? Low ready would be still in front of you, but down so you could see over the top of it. Okay. Is, is that a firing position or is that like a, a way to hold the gun safely but still holding it? It would not be safely. It's a way so you can have full view of vision. <coughs> it up in a firing position in a very quick okay, but it's manner. not what did travis tell you he was thinking as mr arbery came up the right side of the truck toward the front of the truck he didn't tell me anything what did he tell glenn county police his statement to glenn county police was that as mr Aubrey was coming at him that um again he'd already stated that at 30 to 40 yards away he could tell that mr Aubrey was uh, going to fight so he as he saw mr Aubrey coming towards him that uh, Mr. Aubrey squared up, that he shot him. He said that he was concerned. What does that mean, squared up? That's the word he uses. What did you understand it to mean? That as he, as he was running towards him, he squared up in like a fighting stance, or something along those lines. And that but, proceeded, sorry? Uh, your Honor, were you trying to ask something? Oh, I thought I heard Your Honor start to speak. I uh, that Travis said he perceived that he was about to be assaulted prior to shooting the first shot. Yes, that's correct. And did Greg McMichael or Travis say that Travis was in fact struck before the first shot was fired? 
Greg McMichael said that, but his again, his interpretation, what he's describing is actually the second shot. But I guess the information coming from Greg McMichael is that Mr. Arbery did in fact strike his son Travis prior to the first shot. Is that yes. what he said? He did, but he also said it was only two shots. Okay, that's and his description of where the shooting took place is on the side of the truck, not the front of the truck. Okay. Mr. Travis McMichael said that he was not sure that if he was struck before the first shot. He said he squared up. He said we were all tangled up. He was not sure if, his, if Mr. Aubrey's hand was on his shirt when he shot him. And, and did Travis tell the Glenn County Police Department that Mr. Aubrey had placed his hands on the gun prior to him shooting it the first time? No, I, don't, I believe he did not say that the hand was on the gun before he shot. Just that Mr. Aubrey was squared up, ready to fight, and he and said he grabbed him. And may have grabbed him and says may have hit him. He was not sure about that. His he was very inconsistent about what occurred during that time frame because he said his adrenaline was pumping and it happened very quickly. He said that he was afraid of being beat or assaulted by Mr. Aubrey. He said he was afraid that Mr. Aubrey would get hold of the shotgun. Yes, sir. Okay. And it's your belief that the first shot was fired was one of the shots to the chest. Is that correct? Yes. Sir. And you believe that because. Travis said that he thought that was the first shot as well. Right. At that time, did he say that Mr. Arbery had his hands on the gun and was trying to take the gun from him? He said he had his hands on the gun, yes, sir. I don't know if he specifically was trying to pull the gun away or not, but he indicated that he didn't have his hands on the gun. And did Travis tell you that the second shot came because he was trying to defend himself from the what he said was the assault of Mr. Arbery on the hand at that point? What he told Glen County Police Department. What he told Glen County. And the third shot, the same thing, he was still trying to get the gun away from Mr. Arbery, and he shot because Mr. Arbery kept coming at him, yes. essentially. Okay. And it's, it's, it's your decision, then, as you move forward through the case, that you are of the opinion that this was not self-defense by Mr. McMichael. I don't believe it was self-defense by Mr. McMichael. I believe it was self-defense by Mr. Arbery. Okay. That's why he took the warrant. Why he took the warrant. Yes, okay. I believe Mr. Arbery was being pursued. And he ran till he couldn't run anymore, and it turned back to a man with a shotgun, or or fight with his bare hands against a man with a shotgun. He chose to fight. On our next episode, we will present our examination of questioning of Agent Dial by the attorneys for Travis McMichael's co-defendants, his father Greg McMichael, and their neighbor William Bryan. But first, let's continue our multi-part discussion about the hearing with Georgetown Law Professor, MSNBC analyst, and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler. In addition to felony murder, I believe there's a separate statute for malice murder, and that Travis McMichael is accused of—actually, I think perhaps all three defendants are accused of malice murder— can you discuss some of the facts that were presented in this preliminary hearing that will go to showing malice on the part of these defendants? Malice is actually, in this context, a technical term. It means that the defendants intentionally killed Mr. Arbery, and they didn't have any legal justification for doing so. And so the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that both those things are true. Now, in this case, who actually 
caused the death is not an issue. You might recall that in the prosecution of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd, causation was an issue. One of Mr. Chauvin's defenses was that he actually didn't kill Mr. Floyd, that Mr. Floyd was killed because of his, or that Mr. Floyd died because of his pre-existing health conditions or because of drugs in the system. The jury in convicting Chauvin of murder obviously disregarded that defense. Here in the trial regarding Mr. Arbery's death, the fact that Travis McMichael fired the shots that killed Mr. Arbery, that fact is not the subject of debate. So why he killed Mr. Arbery is the essence of this trial, whether that was legally justified or whether that was committed with what Georgia law calls malice, which again, we can think of as intent. And so in the preliminary hearing, what the prosecution needed to establish was not beyond a reasonable doubt, but that it was more likely than not that Mr. Arbery wasn't responsible criminally for his own death. That is, he wasn't doing anything, including threatening the lives of the defendants that entitled them to use deadly force. And the defense has to create some kind of credible context for their argument that the defendants were legally entitled to arrest Mr. Arbery. So what they say is that there had been a series of burglaries in the neighborhood and that they suspected that Mr. Arbery had committed these burglaries. And the prosecution questions, A, whether there actually was a problem with burglaries in the neighborhood. And so the investigator notes that he canvassed the neighborhood and didn't find much evidence that there actually had been a series of burglaries. There have been a couple of cases in which people said that they had stuff stolen out of their cars. But the most substantial complaint, ironically enough, uh, came from Mr. McMichael, who said that a couple of months earlier, he'd had a, a gun stolen from his car. And that was one of the only times that there had been a 911 call about a burglary. And so, again, what the investigator and the prosecutor are trying to establish is that there wasn't actually a serious issue with burglaries in the neighborhood, and that that might have been something like an after-the-fact justification by the McMichaels to explain or try to justify what they had done. Yeah, and in fact, Agent Dial indicated that he reviewed Greg McMichael's statement made to the Glynn County Police Department, where he said that he knew nothing was taken on the previous day of an incident, February 11th, and he didn't think that there'd been anything taken from the house in the past. He said it's possible, but he didn't believe so. That was Greg McMichael himself acknowledging that he was not aware of any burglaries having taken place at that property. And not only that, the investigators also interviewed the homeowner, uh, Larry English, who indicated that there hadn't been anything taken from his own home, which is, again, where Mr. Arbery entered 
according to the video, not just on that occasion, but on other occasions as well. The home is not occupied by Mr. English, but he says that he monitors it and he hadn't noticed anything missing or had any other issues with the house or the security of the home in his absence. And in fact, he speculated that maybe Mr. Arbery had entered the home just to get something to drink since he was jogging. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us on our next episode where we will conclude our examination of this probable cause hearing and what it means to the overall case against the defendants in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was written by Art Montrostelli. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. <laughs>